0: This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. It might seem like a small goal to go camping, but it's something Dave Repture has been working towards for more than three years. In 2015, he was burned over most of his body in a helicopter crash. He's finally well enough to sleep under the stars.
1: We got a little camper van, so we just kind of drove around, uh, did a bunch of hiking and trying to dodge snowstorms this time of year. But we caught some of the last color out there and the changing uh, leaves and a little fresh snowfall on the peaks. So it made for a really beautiful trip.
0: It's a return to the outdoor lifestyle he and his wife led before the crash.
1: We used to look forward to trying to find places where there, there was no cell service, no you know civilization. And that was our first opportunity to get away from, I guess, the world for a little bit. And it felt really good.
0: And it's not the only big achievement for the ruptures. Last week, President Trump signed a new law to make helicopters like the one Rapture was in safer. The law requires new helicopters to be equipped with fuel tanks sturdier than the one that ruptured during the crash, which covered Dave in flaming jet fuel.
1: That law as it stands gives you, in theory, about 15 minutes before a fuel tank should start leaking. In my instance, I only had three seconds. If I had 15 minutes, I could have possibly walked away with no injuries. And, and, you know, if someone has an unfortunate day and they have to have a hard landing, you know, hopefully they get that chance to make it out of that wreckage before it catches on fire.
0: And yet, Rapture says the new law doesn't go far enough. It only applies to new helicopters, whether they're used for medical emergencies or for flying tourists over the Grand Canyon.
1: It doesn't do anything for the current fleet. But, you know, maybe 20 years down the road, it'll just be a standard thing. It's just maybe like now if you jump into a car, there's backup cameras and lane sensing and automatic windshield wipers, I guess. You know, there's everything out there. And it it just seems commonplace now. And hopefully that'll be sort of the same thing with some of this uh, helicopter safety issues. Down the road, people won't even remember this time where there wasn't those features.
0: We first brought you the story of Dave and his wife Amanda in August. He was a flight nurse in Summit County, critically hurt when his flight-for-life helicopter went down on July third, 2015. For a time, he lay in a hospital bed, hallucinating. Only the sound of Amanda's voice could bring him back to reality. And so she made a recording for the nurses to play when she couldn't be by his side.
2: at the apartment just five minutes away, and I'll be back to see you again in just a little bit.
0: The ruptures recently moved back to Silverthorne, where they lived before the crash. But Dave still returns to Denver for treatment. I met the couple at an apartment they continue to rent right next to the CU Medical Center. Hi. Hey, guys. Dave, I'm Ryan. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having us. Dave was dressing his burns as we walked in. Three years later, there are still problem spots.
1: Just with the burn process, uh, I just lost the ability to make pigment in my skin, and it's very thin and fragile, and I also lost the ability to sweat. I really may have two little patches I can sweat from my forehead and my right chest, and so they have to work overtime, (laughs) but uh, temperature regulation is a big challenge. Uh, I feel like a reptile. Now, before we talk about the hundreds
0: of medical procedures he's had, before we talk about the $100 million settlement reached in his case, which could make air travel safer, let's go back to July 2015. Dave and Amanda had been on vacation.
2: We had just gotten back from the Middle Fork River and had an incredible trip. Uh, One of our favorite trips,
0: best ones. Activity was at the center of their lives together, camping, hiking. It's a big reason they lived in the mountains. But it was back to work for Dave, a flight nurse, who, as he had countless times before, boarded a helicopter at Saint Anthony Summit Medical Center in Frisco. Dave, the flight that crashed was not a rescue flight. You were on a mission to tell
1: kids about what you do. That day, yeah, we were heading to gypsum for, uh, I like to call them uh, touch a truck days. There's touch a truck. <laughs> there's, uh, you know, there's. Helicopters and fire trucks and ambulances, and you know, everyone, everyone brings their stuff out for kids to look at and you know, turn the sirens on or whatever, and, and they're usually a fun time.
0: But just after lifting off, still on hospital grounds, the helicopter crashed.
1: I remember an impact, and that's it. It's, I can't tell you anything about the impact, I just remember an impact, and then. How far up were you? According to the reports, you're about 100 feet. I had no sense of that. And then I didn't think I got knocked out, but obviously I was unconscious for a little bit. If you look at the tape and stuff like that.
0: You look at the tape.
1: It was caught on security footage. uh, With multiple cameras. With multiple cameras. And I guess my next memory after the impact was, I don't know if you remember like the cold bucket challenge or whatever it was called. Oh, the ice
0: bucket challenge. ice bucket challenge.
1: Uh To me, that's what it was. It was uh, like someone dumped a five-gallon bucket of cold liquid right across my shoulders. And turns out it was jet fuel. That was what my first recollection was. And then it was just fire. And I didn't know where I was. That I remember I didn't really know anything. I just knew I had to get out. I pushed the door off and ran away from the helicopter. Or this is all from the video footage. And I was just... I couldn't get away from the flames I guess because I was it was all me every direction I turned I was in it was in flames I guess because I was fully engulfed in fire and I remember this guy on the yelling at me to get on the ground and roll and I did and ended up rolling down this hill next to the bike path there and here's this poor guy he's just out enjoying a beautiful Summit county day riding his bike and next thing he's he's witness to this horrific thing, and he's sitting there scooping dirt off the side of the trail, trying to get the fire out on me and It wasn't until the crew ran in from the e r with a fire extinguisher that before they finally got the flames out, and they just scooped me up on the backboard, and they had to go a long ways to get into the e r and boy they were working hard i was that was, was a lot to carry. <laughs> And uh, we got to the ER, and I was calling out orders.
0: Once a nurse, always a
1: nurse. Yeah. Even when the nurse is the patient. Yeah, and I was telling them, it's like, you're going to have to intubate me. I took in a lot of smoke and fire, and I don't know how long my airway is going to last. You're going to have to intubate intubate me right away. And they, I think, were just trying to reassure me, I guess, going in and got in there. And they were really having a hard time finding access for medication on me because i was so badly burned and when they finally did and that's when i looked up at ron and said tell amanda i love her and then it was just black
0: the crash ultimately killed the pilot patrick mahaney and injured dave's fellow flight nurse matt bow though less severely as we came to learn, video of the incident and that splash from the fuel tank proved pivotal in the case against the helicopter's manufacturer, Airbus, and its operator, Air Methods. Meanwhile, across town, Amanda Rapture's phone rang. It was a colleague at the hospital. Amanda is a nurse, too. And this coworker explained there'd been a crash. Dave was alive, but she should come to the hospital fast.
2: And it was July 3rd in Summit County, which is bursting at the seams with traffic and people. And and a lot of people have asked me what I said or what I was thinking or what I did during that drive, and I honestly don't remember. I just know we needed to get to the hospital. And when we did, I, I jumped out and I ran into the ER, and I got into Dave's room and I took one look at him, and I knew he was so badly burned. I just looked up and I was, said, you know, uh, what's his core temperature? How much fluid have you given him? And I just went into nurse mode and everybody was like, Amanda, we got it, we got it. And uh, I just stayed with him and everybody was doing their job and it was an incredible feat for all those people in that ER because it wasn't just Dave, it was also Patrick and Matt and all three were critical and
0: all these healthcare workers that they knew,
2: it, it was all family taking care of family in a time of incredible crisis. And I've thought about that, that there's not too many times I think that you can look at a situation like that for the medical team and they were all doing their job amazingly. So when the helicopter came to get Dave,
0: and take him to Denver,
2: take him to Denver, I knew I couldn't fly. I mean, I know all about all of that, but I asked anyways because I was honestly afraid he wasn't going to make it to Denver, and I wanted to be there with him. And of course, that wasn't an option. We loaded him into the helicopter, and the winds had started blowing, and the rain was starting, and Peter, the chief flight nurse, was hanging on to me, and I looked at him, and I just said, are we putting him really putting him back in a helicopter right now? Is he going to be okay? And he just said, yeah. They'll be okay, Amanda. And I knew if he wasn't in a helicopter and he didn't get to the burn center as fast as he could, he wasn't going to make it. So they lifted off, and then I went into the ER, and I said I needed to see Patrick. And our friend was outside the front door, and he just looked at me and said, the door was closed, and he said, Amanda, he didn't make it. And I opened the door, and I walked in, and Karen was there with Patrick. It was just the two of them. And I hugged her, and we were both crying. And she said, Amanda, I don't know how I'm going to make it without him. And I said, I know. And the whole time I thought, this is going to be me. And I didn't know how I was going to do that. I walked out of the room, and I collapsed. And they put me on the triage gurney and, and then that's when Ron, the nurse who had been taking care of Dave came up to me and I didn't know him and he said, you don't know me but I was taking care of Dave and I need to tell you that the last thing he said before we put him out was, tell Amanda I love her
0: so, so you got that message?
2: I did and those words were very powerful I hung on to them for a long, long time
0: Because it would be a while before he spoke to you again.
1: Five and a half months. The first five and a half months, I was sedated. And then uh, when I woke up on December 14th, I had little lucid intervals, I guess. And then battling the septic shock, my mental status would change. And uh, for most of my hospitalization, I was hallucinating. I I was off in a different place. And it's something... Now that I can look back and laugh at some of these places, but at the time, was it felt completely real. It was every sensation, every look, feel, smell, everything about those hallucinations was 100% real to me at the time.
2: You know, I mean, he was all over the place. He was... Working, taking patients, he was <laughs> flying in foreign countries. One day, you thought there was—you were in the subway shop, was in your hospital room, yeah, and I, I mean, it's just wait,
0: this like a subway, like a subway sandwich shop yeah. was in your hospital room. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then, mm-hmm. yeah, I was in thrift stores. I was in Honduras.
0: Almost like a like what people might associate with a fever dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but long lasting. Mm-hmm. Yep. What were your ways of calming him down?
2: Talking to him and uh, being present with him and, and, you know, touching him and Mm. letting him know that I was there. I mean, every day before he woke up, I would tell him what happened and talk him through things and say, you know, you were burned, but your head, your neck and your back are okay. Because I wanted him to know that he was, even though he was laying in bed, that he wasn't paralyzed and he wasn't um, dealing with a severe traumatic brain injury Once he was aware and then he would go in and out and into the hallucinations, it was a matter of me bringing him back to reality. And so I would just tell him where he was. And sometimes it was challenging. I mean, there was one day with the tactile hallucinations that he just felt like something was poking at him. And his mom and I just kept moving everything in the bed and in his hands, and he was complaining about, you know, that he, he wanted the scissors. He just wanted the scissors to cut what was poking him in the back, and we had rolled him and changed all of his sheets and done everything. And I finally, I just went and got two Popsicle sticks, and I put them in his hand. And I was like, here's your scissors. Cut it away. And he did. He, like, he reached over, and he was just, like, poking at it. And I was like, is that better? And we're like, Yeah.
1: Amanda came every day. I, I don't know if you knew, but like she was by my side every day for as long as she could do it and go home just to rest a little bit, hopefully.
0: The fact that Dave had made it even this far is arguably a miracle doctors had actually given him a below-zero chance of survival.
2: There's a formula that the burn team uses to calculate survivability when you first come in. It's based on your age, the extent of the burn, and complications that you face. So Dave's kidney failure, renal failure in the first 24 hours, the fact that he developed compartment syndrome and had to have his belly opened up and all of his extremities opened up, all of that factored together to give him a negative Chance of survival. And they told me that it was a negative chance of survival, but we're going to tell you because Dave is obviously very well loved and has a lot of support and he's incredibly fit, we're going to t- give you a 10% chance. And we didn't find out until later in his medical record that it was actually a 140% mortality rate.
0: You're listening to Colorado Matters. I'm Ryan Warner, and today we're sharing the story of Dave and Amanda Rapture. Dave, a flight nurse, was nearly killed in a Flight for Life helicopter crash in 2015 in Frisco. When we come back, he finally takes a turn for the better, and the couple takes on big corporations that they say knowingly put people's lives in jeopardy. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News.
2: Hey, I'm Jesse Witten from Colorado Public Radio's Open Air and one of the hosts of our brand new podcast, The Playlist League. What I love about this is it takes something as beautifully subjective and personal as music and makes it into a battle royale. It's a music conversation, but done competitively as we draft playlists song by song according to a theme each month. So if you like music discovery, bloodthirsty competition, or even just a fun, casual hang session with some fellow music lovers, check out The Playlist League from CPR's Open Air.
0: You're back with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. It's a survival story that makes you wonder, could I have made it through what they did? Flight nurse Dave Rapture was burned over 90% of his body after a flight-for-life helicopter crashed shortly after takeoff. This was in Frisco in 2015. His wife Amanda, herself a nurse, learned that doctors had given him a below-zero chance of survival. More than three years later, Dave is still under close medical supervision, and the couple keeps the apartment they rented in Aurora to be near
1: his doctors at CU. I've seen 43 specialties, I think, at that hospital.
0: 43? I didn't even yeah, know there were
1: that yeah. many, days.
2: Yeah, I think 42. 42. Yeah, I, I mean, I I didn't mm-hmm. realize that there were that many either. I would joke with people in the hospital and say, I know there's one we're never going to hit. That's OB. be. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> The ruptures have kept their sense of humor, their hope, and they owe that partly to a burn psychologist who's worked with them. As many specialists as Dave has seen, he's had even more procedures. I asked him to name a few.
1: I don't know if it'd be easier, but I, you know, I've right? had fifty-two surgeries. I've, you know, 51. it's fifty-one. Yeah, I think fifty-one. Fifty-one surgeries, yeah. but that's
2: um, actual trips to the OR. And then, so he's had multiple other procedures at the bedside and hundreds, of, hundreds of things like that.
0: That includes a cochlear implant. Dave was on such strong antibiotics, they affected his hearing. But he really only started to turn a corner to feel human again after a
1: kidney transplant. Why did you need a new kidney? So part of the burns process obviously can damage your kidneys with all the uh, material that gets released into your bloodstream and basically clogs them up. And then also the 10 months of antibiotics I was on. So we... When we finally got out of the hospital and could look forward to coming home to the apartment. I was doing dialysis at the hospital still, and we were getting trained to do dialysis at home. This whole apartment it was stacked to the ceiling with boxes, and we had the dialysis machine right next to where you're sitting. And that
2: was his dialysis uh, chair. Yeah, chair where you're oh, okay, I'm in the dialysis <laughs> chair. <laughs> All right, and,
1: uh, it keeps you alive, but you're certainly not living. And In August of last year, I had my transplant. My health is better, dramatically better. My stamina is better. I can be out in the heat. I can sweat. I can drink. I can eat. All all these things was one of the biggest things that we could get.
0: It meant returning to their active lifestyle, even if it isn't quite like before.
1: Sometimes I can't help but think when I go out and do some of these same hikes and stuff that I used to go run around, and now it takes me two hours of huffing and puffing to get around. You know, it's just uh, things like that, I guess, have changed.
0: Amanda says Dave has been hiking himself back to health. But good health isn't the only thing they've worked for. They also want justice. The helicopter crash shouldn't have been as deadly and destructive as it was. The fuel tank that led to Dave's burns was unnecessarily flimsy. So was his seat.
2: The fuel system on board was not a crash resistant fuel system and the fuel tank ruptured
0: does this explain that cold splash that dave remembers feeling
2: yes yeah. and so and then his basically seat,
1: it's like a, a milk jug that you're sitting right in front of it's it's no thicker than i think it was from some of the stuff it was 11 millimeters thick and it's just plastic it's a uh, rotomolded plastic very brittle and you're sitting right in front of it.
2: And then the, the seat was not rated to the latest standards for crash impact. It was an aftermarket seat, and Dave was actually ejected with the seat still attached to him. It came off of the helicopter, and he was ejected headfirst into the fuel spill.
1: It was basically built off of standards from 1965, and that's all they had to build up to and did you give it some thought
0: that your your life was changed by eleven millimeters of plastic
1: it's just the word i 've used is disappointment. You know the people buying and developing those helicopters it's just disappointing that they they knew it was out there. ours wasn 't the first crash the f a a has known about this since the The 70s, the 60s, Vietnam War, when all this technology was being developed. I mean, the military was the first one to adapt most of these standards.
2: They realized that people were unnecessarily dying Mm -hmm. in post-crash fires when they were not injured. And they fixed the problem.
0: In other words, the crash isn't the problem necessarily. It's the aftermath, which is a surprising realization, of course.
1: Yeah, I mean, at some point, physics takes over. If you have a crash hard enough, Hmm. unfortunate things are going to happen. But all you want is a fighting chance.
0: What do you most hope for in the future?
1: Well, our biggest hope going forward was that even if one person, and that's it, if just one person in the future can walk away from something like this, then it'll all be worth it. We hope it'll be more than that. A lot of people need to take a little more responsibility for this. And industry needs to change their behavior The regulators need to change their behavior. There needs to be greater awareness amongst the the people getting into these helicopters and you know, it's not just air medical. There's companies in the Grand Canyon that are flying six hundred thousand people annually.
0: With these same kinds of of helicopters.
2: Sightseeing, news, Hawaii, um, law enforcement. Law enforcement,
1: yeah. There's helicopters the US utilizes the most helicopters in the world. And people have no idea of what they're stepping into.
0: As for what caused the crash, federal investigators said it was likely a preventable hydraulic issue. The ruptures sued the manufacturer Airbus and the operator Air Methods and eventually settled for $100 million. The couple will use some of the money for a new foundation, partly to help other burn survivors... But the settlement will also pay for Dave's lifelong medical care.
1: I wouldn't wish this upon anyone, but seeing how people can come together when they really want to, it's been, been really special. It's stra- we were, strangers, We were at the 4th of July
2: yeah. parade in Frisco, and a woman that we didn't recognize came up and just had tears in her eyes and said, Can I hug you both? And she <laughs> gave us both a hug, and she's like, I pray for you both every day, and you're just amazing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what do you do with that except... Share and mm-hmm. pay it forward and, you know, just do what you can to help others.
0: Thanks to both of you for being with us. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: <laughs> we first spoke to Dave and Amanda Repture in August about their long journey together back to health. Since then, President Trump has signed a law that requires stronger fuel tanks, but only in new Helicopters. There are photos from our visit with the Raptures at CPR.org. Michelle Fulcher produced this segment with audio engineer Michael Hughes. Music by Poddington Bear. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Now we look back at a breakthrough album from one of Denver's biggest bands. Ten years ago, Flowbots released their debut, Fight With Tools, the 2008 election was underway, and the hip-hop group's socially conscious message was resonating with both fans and critics. It led to sold-out international tours, late-night TV appearances, and a big record deal. Back then, I asked MC Jamie Lurie, a.k.a. Johnny Five, about the band's political hip-hop identity. You know, Hip-hop from the very beginning has been about serving as a voice for the community.
3: It's been about people taking what they have around them and uh, using that to, to create music, to celebrate community. And we really try to stay true to that spirit. If you have a political message, what is it? Is it an angry message, an inspiring message? What's the message? I think there's a place for anger and there's a place for looking at the power that we have and being inspired by that. But I think ultimately it's about engaging and not disengaging. From politics? From politics, from community building, from uh, kind of local, local efforts uh, on all levels. Stand up. We shall not be moved except by a child with no socks and shoes. If you've got more to give, then you've got to prove. Put your hands up and I'll copy you. Stand up. We shall not be moved except by a woman dying from a loss of food. If you've got more to give, then you've got to prove. Put your hands up and I'll copy you. We still don't understand. Thunder with lightning flashback to when we didn't fund the damn. Didn't fund the damn levy. No wonder, man. Now a whole damn city's torn asunder, man. Underwater. But we still don't understand. We've seen hurricane spills overrun the land through gaps you couldn't fill with a hundred tons of sand. No, we still don't understand. We've seen planes in the windows of buildings crumbled in. We've seen flames sending chills through London. And we've sent planes to kill them. And some of them are children, but still we crumble in the building. Underfunded, but we still don't understand. Under God, but we kill like the son of Sam. But if you feel like I feel about the son of man, we will overcome. So stand up. stand up, we shall not be moved Except by a child with no socks and shoes If you've got more
2: to give, then you've got to prove Put your hands up, and I'll copy you And stand
0: up, stand up. we shall not be moved The enduring music of Denver hip-hop group Flowbots and their album Fight With Tools. They'll celebrate its 10th anniversary with a performance tomorrow at the McNichols Event Center in Denver. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Then you've
3: got to prove Put your hands
1: up, and I'll copy you He shall not be moved.